Al Jazeera podcast. With a seven-day ceasefire in Gaza over, fighting has resumed between Israel and Hamas. Caught in the middle are civilians from both sides. It's raised questions about proportionality and accountability. So is Israel meeting its obligations under the laws of war? I'm Laura Kyle, and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyze, and help define major global stories. Let's bring in our guests. In Ramallah, in the occupied West Bank, Mustafa Barghouti, Secretary General of the Palestinian National Initiative and a former information minister for the Palestinian Authority. In New York, Ahmed Abafoul, legal researcher and advocacy officer at Al-Haq, an independent Palestinian human rights organisation. And in Liverpool, in the UK, Triestino Mariniello, a professor of law at Liverpool John Moores University and a member of the legal team representing Gaza victims in the International Criminal Court. A very warm welcome to all of you. Triestino, this Friday, Israel resumed airstrikes on Gaza, once again killing civilians in huge numbers. It's now also targeting what were supposed to be safe areas in the south. Can you outline for us what are supposed to be the rules of war in this conflict? Well, first of all, many thanks for having me today. I mean, uh, discussing the rule of law, looking at the situation in Gaza from an international law perspective means, first of all, to discuss the context in which these hostilities are taking place. Hostilities and context cannot be assessed uh, separately. And the context is the one in which uh, there has been uh, now almost 17-year blockade of the Gaza Strip, a blockade which has produced a number of uh, crises and which has uh, cause a situation that, according to the United Nations uh, different bodies of the UN, was even before the 7th of October unacceptable, unsustainable and deplorable. A mm. situation that was defined, was defined by the Secretary General of the United Nations as a collective punishment, a segregation of the civilian population in Gaza. Blockade means, under international law, occupation of the Gaza Strip. The entire Palestinian territory under international law, so not only the West Bank, including East Jerusalem, but also the Gaza Strip is still occupied, despite mm. the 2005 disengagement of the uh, of the Israeli troops, Gaza is still occupied under international law, for a very simple reason, because Israeli authority still exercise an effective control of the entire Gaza Strip, controlling almost its land borders, territorial waters, uh, airspace, uh, even uh, um, uh, tax revenues uh, are under the effective control of the Israeli authorities. So we are talking of a context which is still occupied under international law. OK, so we've got to the occupying power. Mustafa Barghouti, what are the obligations of the occupying power in Gaza at the moment, but also in the West Bank? The obligation of the occupying power is uh, to take care of the civilians who are under their occupation. And Israel is doing exactly the opposite, <clears throat> not only in Gaza Strip, but also in West Bank. Mm. Uh, the whole Oslo agreement was used by Israel in the West Bank, for instance, to get rid of any responsibility towards the people who are under their occupation and transfer it to the Palestinian Authority, which continued to be an authority without authority and an authority under occupation, deprived from any real power. So the game that Israel plays all the time and now wants to repeat it in Gaza 
story occupy Gaza completely, uh, control it totally with military power, but find somebody else to take care of the humanitarian needs of the people. But not only that, they've destroyed 60% of all homes in Gaza. They've destroyed all the infrastructure in Gaza City. So practically, not only they are not taking care of the needs of the people under their occupation, they're actually destroying any possibility for uh, life of the people under their occupation, because their actual goal is really the ethnic cleansing of Gaza completely. And that is the reason why they decided to renew their attacks now in Gaza. There isn't any part of international law, in my opinion, that Israel did not violate. Okay. Israel itself was established as a settler colonial project through a huge operation of ethnic cleansing against 70% of the Palestinian people who were forced out of their land, out of their country to become refugees. Ahmed, do you see uh, the Palestinians' situation, the, the, the violent resistance against occupation that we are seeing, that we have seen, is there a legality within that? Well, um, using uh, resistance in any form, including armed struggle uh, um, to resist occupation, uh, is permitted under international law. There is no questions there. The Palestinians have the right to resist the occupation. Now, which means of resistance they choose, it's up to the Palestinian people. This includes armed uh, resistance, but it has to be in accordance and in compliance with uh, international law in particular. Uh, the law governing the conduct of hostilities, that is, international humanitarian law. And so, yes, the, absolutely. The, the, the attack, then, if yeah. we look at the attack by Hamas on October the 7th, it's been called a war crime. 1,200 mm -hmm. people were killed. About 240 people were taken captive, both breaking international law. But as a non-state actor in this conflict, what rules of war is Hamas bound by? Uh, and the same that Israel is by, by, mm. by the the, um, uh, the application of international humanitarian law applies to all parties uh, uh, to the conduct of hostilities. So, uh, um, but one needs to differentiate. I, nobody can claim that uh, an attack in its totality uh, is uh, illegal because we just said unoccupied people have the right to resist the occupation. So this goes back to the uh, rhetorical question: Do you condemn Hamas, for example? Um, and this is a way to derail the discussion. One cannot ask a Palestinian to condemn Hamas's attack in its totality, but when talks about Israeli use of force, talk about technicality of IHL, whether a certain strike was proportionate or not. So the attack in and by itself, so for example, attacking Israeli soldiers, dragging them out of, of, of tanks, as we saw, and taking them to Gaza, this, uh, in particular, this uh, exact incident is permitted under international law. Any attack against the occupying army is permitted under international law as long as it complies with uh, the rules of international humanitarian law. Um, on the other hand, any attack on civilians is prohibited under international law and could amount to a war crime. Uh, and, and the body to decide that has to be an independent investigative body uh, and the experience of, of the situation in Palestine, this body cannot be uh, um, uh, any mm -hmm. investigative body from, from Israel. Israel has a history uh, of denying uh, justice, of systematic impunity, uh, a history of uh, pathologically lying 
about the responsibility of its uh, soldiers and ensuring that they enjoy uh, absolute uh, impunity. And I think this is because the the whole Israeli uh, settler colonial project and apartheid regime is a premise on a promise of impunity to its mm. soldiers. So we'll definitely once, get onto the issue yes. of accountability a little later in the discussion. Triestino, I don't think we've really got to the crux yet of what the actual rules in a conflict are, because all conflicts are governed by the rules of law, international humanitarian law, Geneva Conventions. Can you outline for us, for our viewers, what exactly they are? Well, uh, first of all, uh, I mean, it's arguable that see, if this is uh, a occupied territory, also the Gaza Strip, as we said before, that Israel has a right to self-defense against an occupied territory, as many states claim. But uh, assuming, I mean, that uh, once the conflict has started, the military operation has started, Israeli authorities have to comply, first of all, with fundamental principles of international humanitarian law. First of all, principle of distinction, so making a clear distinction between military objectives and civilian object and civilians principle of proportionality so not not putting in place disproportionate attacks and finally principle of precaution providing the civilian population with effective warnings for instance mm. all of have been violated, and there is clear evidence in relation to this Gaza war. It's not a novelty. All the military operations against Gaza have been characterized by violation by the Israeli authority of these three principles, in particular of the principle of distinction, by putting in place indiscriminate attacks against civilians and civil objects. We could provide plenty of examples since 7 October in this regard. For instance, the Shifa hospital or the other Medical units in Gaza, which have a protected status under international humanitarian law, have been intentionally attacked by the Israeli authority. Or the attack of the 31st of October against Jabalia refugee camp, in which the Israeli authorities have claimed that there was a military, a mass military commander. Well, there was no evidence for that. But even if Israel should provide clear mm. evidence of that, that does not make the civilian group in the Jabalia refugee camp as a military target, according to international humanitarian law, as also clearly established by international criminal tribunals. Mustafa Baghouti, what do you make of the evidence that Israel has provided so far? What evidence? Sorry. The evidence that it has put on social media. We're seeing videos of tunnels. We're seeing uh, them going through uh, areas that it said was where the hostages look. were being held. What do you make of those? First of all, let's say that Netanyahu is nothing but a pathological liar besides being a war criminal. And his army and his spokespeople are repeating lies after lies, even after these lies were revoked, even by the American media. You remember the whole story about decapitation of children. Mm. CNN had to apologize for reporting that. The rape of women, Los Angeles Times had to apologize for reporting that. The number of Palestinians killed, uh, and, and, and uh, now we have the names and the dates of birth and everything, and the ID numbers of all people killed. So Israel continues to tell lies after lies after lies to justify what? What, what? I'm, what I'm quite interested to, to, justify... to know within the bounds of this discussion, though, is whether this kind of evidence would ever hold up in the court of law. Absolutely not. Of course not. What will hold in the court of law, if there is an independent real commission of international law, 
that is not biased to Israel and that is not subjected or vulnerable to American pressure, Israel will be judged for the following, the following war crimes, the, the continuous occupation, the system of apartheid, the ethnic cleansing of Palestinians, the genocide that is conducted against people in Gaza, and the collective punishment against the whole population, not only in Gaza, but also in the West Bank. In addition to rejecting and refusing to implement no less than 1,000 resolutions of the United Nations General Assembly and the United Nations Security Council. All of that was done by Israel. Why? Because the Western governments, and especially the United States of America, and in particular the government of Britain, have allowed Israel to be impunitive mm. to international law, have allowed Israel to be unaccountable, have treated Israel differently from every other country in the world. And look at the comparison, a very clear comparison between the way the world treats the situation in Ukraine and that in Palestine. In Ukraine, they support what they say, the occupied people. In Palestine, they are supporting the occupier. And I mean by that the United States and Britain and some other Western governments. Okay. That is uh, but I just want to jump in These there because we will again we will be we will be looking at uh, the international community's response just a little later. I'm still just trying to uh, pin down what exactly it is within the law that Israel is is breaking. And Ahmed, because Israel, we have to note that Israel continuously insists that its conduct is in accordance with international law, and it does seem so far to have the backing of the U.S. In that, however, it's also cited as having a loose interpretation of the international law. So how much room is there, as a lawyer, how much room is there for interpretation of this international law? Yeah, where, to be honest, to say Israel has a loose interpretation is even an understatement. Israel has a distorted interpretation of international law. It makes a mockery of international uh, humanitarian law. And its violations of uh, of the laws of war and of international humanitarian law are uh, abundantly clear. Uh, at least for those who don't want to see it or who want to follow Israel's uh, lies and uh, and propaganda, uh, Israel claims first and foremost that uh, it's acting in self-defense. It's important also to to uh, to explain that a bit. The body of law that governs the right to self-defense for states is regulated under Article 51 of the United Nations Charter. This is a right to states when uh, they're attacked by another state, not by non-state actors like resistance uh, uh, groups. And even if there is a, a doubt about uh, um, uh, a state's right to respond to attacks uh, coming from arms uh, groups, definitely there is no doubt uh, that uh, an occupying power does not have the right to defend itself against the people it occupies, because naturally it has positioned itself as mm. the aggressor, as the occupier. And as a matter of fact, the, uh, uh, the the highest court in the United Nations, the principal judicial organ of the UN, uh, namely the International Court of Justice and the 2004 advisory opinion, has already said, uh, because Israel argued self-defense back then, and the court said clearly that the right to self-defense is irrelevant when it comes to the occupied Palestinian territory. So mm. this has to be uh, clarified at the outset. In terms of Israel's violation, it's important to differentiate between different kinds of, of, of uh, violations. Israel is committing uh, war crimes uh, uh, during the conduct of uh, hostilities, and this is a question of 
IHL principles like proportionality, distinction, uh, and other uh, uh, important principles. But Israel is also committing uh, uh, continuous war crimes when it comes to, to Palestine. And uh, I think one of the most important crimes uh, of those is the transfer of population into the occupied uh, territories, also known as settlements. Uh, this mm. is one of the uh, most important crimes because it underlines the settler colonial nature of Israel's occupation and its settler colonial ideology, Zionism, that is a premise on the erasure of the Palestinian people and replacing them in their indigenous land. Uh, and that is the, the, the fundamental issue. And this is a, a, okay. a crime that is let, a let's, particular... Let's, let's, um, I can jump in there because I want Triestino to, to look at that a little bit more. Um, all these violations, they're, they're held in a huge file that the ICC has. Uh, former prosecutor Fatou Bensouda began uh, an investigation in 2021. We've never seen anything come of that. Why not? Well, first of all, uh, I would like to add to the violations we have been talking. I mean, that there is already evidence for the International Criminal Court to start an investigation in relation to war crimes we have mentioned, but also to crimes against humanity or forcible transfer, looking at the evacuation order of the entire population from the north of Gaza to the south. And there is also, according to several experts and international organizations, of the ongoing commission of genocide in Gaza. Uh, as uh, you correctly said, the former prosecutor opened an investigation in 2021 into the Gaza situation. It was a decision with a very narrow scope uh, of the investigation looking at 2014 uh, war crimes committed in Gaza, at uh, crimes committed within the context of the Great March of Return and uh, at the settlements in the West Bank as a war crime. Unfortunately, since the new prosecutor has taken office, the British barrister Karim Khan, he has been very reluctant in putting in place any effective investigation into in this situation. The answer to your question can may, maybe is that he, the court is under incredible pressure not to put in place effective investigation when it comes to nationals from powerful countries. That applied to Iraq for the British troops, that applied to Afghanistan for the US nationals, and it's still applying to, uh, to, to, to Palestine. This is a clear case of double standards, as has been mm. mentioned before. The court has shown to be able to react promptly to commission of international crimes in other contexts. In few days, there was a request for arrest warrant against Russian national, in particular, against the President Putin. We haven't seen this. It's since 2009 that Palestine has tried to engage with the ICC. But after 14 years, there has never been a simple request of arrest warrant or uh, someone to appear. In other words, there has never been a case before the International Criminal Court. And even in these days, the prosecutor is still very vague when it mm. comes, uh, when he talks about ongoing crimes committed against Palestinian victims. Okay. And this is uh, Mustafa, action. I just want to bring you in at this point because it, it, we, we circle back now to your earlier point that you were making about international pressure or lack of it. ICC prosecutor Karim Khan is, is visiting Israel at the request of the victims of the October 7th Hamas attack. He's also going to be visiting Ramallah. What would be your message to him? He should go to Gaza, not to Ramallah. He should do, he, he is welcomed in Ramallah, but he should go, go also to Gaza. That's where most of the war crimes are happening. And uh, let me say, you, say to you that we are totally unsatisfied with the behavior of Mr. Karim Khan. There has been already so many evidence about the Israeli war crimes in 2014, 2012, 2008 in Gaza, and he never looked at it. He never started the investigation. 
in my opinion, he's very vulnerable to American and Israeli pressures. Mm. And uh, I don't expect much of him when he's coming to visit Israel, uh, who did not allow Bin Souda before to visit Israel. That That is not a very good indication when he is not saying that he should be also visiting Gaza. Uh, and, and let me say here that that is exactly the problem. The problem is that Israel is allowed to be outside the ranks of international law. Mm. And one of the issues that should be raised here is, is the fact that Israel has declared war on occupied people, not once, not twice, but several times. War on occupied people is illegal, is unacceptable by international law. They are occupying us and at the same time declaring war on us. And, and that by itself, of course, is a very grave violation. But, but in my opinion, the United States of America, Britain and some other Western governments are equally responsible. Not okay. only in Let's, terms we were just drawing to the end of our discussions. So I just want to bring back Ahmed because without the application of international law to Israel and Palestine, some are warning that this conflict will only continue. Do you agree with that? 100%. This is the, 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 the fact that we have this uh, situation is the systematic impunity that Israel has been uh, enjoying and ensuring for uh, its soldiers. I think um, this current situation um, uh, uh, is a very important one, not only for Palestine, but the, for the whole body of, of international law and the International Criminal Court in particular. I think this is the litmus test for its uh, credibility. Uh, I totally agree with what your uh, 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 with what uh, the other guests have said that it's uh, utterly unacceptable the way that the court is approaching this situation. You need not to forget that since Karim Khan uh, took office and became the prosecutor, he hasn't issued one statement before the 7th of October, despite mm. Israel's continuing violations, despite Israel's attacking worshippers inside Laksa Mosque, the holiest place uh, for okay. Muslims around the world, an act that could have provoked a regional war. And he didn't think it's enough to issue uh, a statement Ahmed, I'm just going to jump in there to give the last word to Triestino because we've only got a minute left. I want to know from Triestino, who's going to be at the ICC, do you think Israel is going to be held to account? Well, this is, uh, I mean, so far we know that this has been very difficult and uh, it's uh, apparently from statements of the prosecutor. I mean, this is, uh, uh, it, it, it's not easy that this is going, it's likely that this is going to happen, but that's the reason why the pressure on the office of the prosecutor and on the court must be kept high, not only by states which have submitted some mm. referrals to the court in this regard, but also to civil society organizations. I'd like to conclude to say that without the work of Palestinian civil society organization in the West Bank and in the Gaza Strip, there will be no investigation in the ICC at all. It's just thanks to them that the court okay. has been able to open an investigation. Okay, Thank and you. many thanks to you for talking about this subject today. Mustafa Barghouti, Ahmed Abufoul and Triestino Mariniello. This episode was produced by Damien Lay, Fintan Monaghan, Abla Klar and Gemma Harris. Studio sound was by Alvaro Galan Madrid. The programme was edited by Anil Anandan, Lynn Nguyen, Vanessa Keneally and Joda Frias. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening and tune in on Saturday for our next edition. Coming up on The Take... Former U.S. Secretary of State Henry Kissinger is dead at the age of 100. 
We look at his legacy and the world that Kissinger built. That's The Take by Al Jazeera. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.